I would like to acknowledge that the Teach Reach podcast is operating on the unceded traditional territories of the Matsky, Kwantlen, Ketsi, and Semihamu First Nations. Growing up on ancestral territory of the Taino people, and now as an invited guest on Turtle Island, I recognize the immense impact that the land has had on me. The land has taught me respect, reciprocity, reverence, humility, and responsibility. Through indigenous knowledges, I learned that the land carries stories, histories, medicine, and gifts that enable us to reflect and connect with ourselves and our communities. As a stories-focused podcast, I understand the value of investigating place and space to grapple with real-world issues. I seek to support the ways that indigenous peoples are using to protect their land and communities. It is my intention to continue learning how to properly honor and care for the place where I live. Welcome to Teach Reach, a podcast to explore human connections through shared stories. Stories are what we store in the vault of our heart. Through them, we are exposed to a variety of voices to understand the narratives that shape our communities. We are all stories, those we know, those we live through, those we fabricate, and those we wish to deconstruct. We are not always at the center of those stories. We teach, you reach. Hey Tungi, tell me about Casey. I am thrilled to have Casey Tigret as our guest for this episode. Casey is a father, writer, and spiritual director who has a deep passion for helping people connect with the divine in meaningful ways. Casey is a seasoned writer with several books published on spirituality and faith. We are very lucky to have him as he's just released his new book, The Gift of Restlessness, A Spirituality for Unsettled Seasons. His unique blend of storytelling, humor, and deep spiritual insight has earned him a reputation as a thought-provoking and engaging speaker. In this episode, Casey shares with us his wisdom on spiritual growth, the power of community, curiosity, and the practice of asking questions, which we are really, really big on this podcast on asking questions. Whether you are a seasoned spiritual seeker or simply curious about spiritual life, you won't want to miss this inspiring conversation with Casey Tigret. So I'm asking you to sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired as we delve into this fascinating conversation with Casey Tigret. While I have your attention, we are running a book contest for this episode. We are excited to offer a chance for our listeners to win a copy of Casey's latest book, The Gift of Restlessness, A Spirituality for Unsettled Seasons. To enter the contest, all you have to do is share this episode on your social media platform and tag us at teachreach underscore podcast on Instagram, along with a brief comment on what you found most inspiring about Casey's insights. Be sure to use the hashtag, hashtag teachreachpodcast, one word. Again, hashtag teachreachpodcast. We will randomly select one winner for all, from all eligible entries who will receive a copy of Casey's book. The winner will be announced on our social media platforms and contacted via direct message. Don't miss this opportunity to dive deeper into spiritual growth and to embrace your restlessness. 
Enjoy the ride. Good luck. Sport. What what better than sport to kind of like be a ramp to to start that, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And totally. I'm just enthralled I am, to be with you. I'm enthralled to hear your your story and your what this podcast means to you and how it how it oh my God. out of you and I, I love I love the it's it's always interesting how with my guests there's a mirror effect that that happens. I'm 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 always um fascinated by how you know we get to connect with other people and I want to I like to center the person that I'm interviewing um but there's also a lit, also every time we center other people there's a little bit of us that comes out mm-hmm. as well so as we as we embark on our little voyage we'll 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 probably I, I am excited as well to see what what comes out of 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 this and and of of us sharing and and myself sharing a little bit of story as well um I am very very honored and happy to have you on the podcast Casey um so we it's probably the fastest interview setup that I've had <laughs> since I started that podcast it was um <laughs> it was uh let, let's just de- do it let's get let's get it done and and it's interesting because it's a place where I thrive a lot in that under not under pressure but it kind of like time is of the essence and and we are doing this now right and then yeah. the, the door is open let's go right so so i'm very appreciative of your time very appreciative of your openness very appreciative of the fact that there's something that probably called you to say yes let's go um and i and i'm really really happy so so welcome to the teach reach podcast i'm with casey tigret um who is an author who's a spiritual director um a father as well um and and the 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 beauty of the meeting today or the conversation is the fact that Casey has a book coming out um very soon April 25th the book is called The Gift of Restlessness right um there is a subtitle a spirituality for unsettled seasons so welcome Casey and and I like to leave the space for our guest to to tell us a little bit about about them how did you get to to be an author <laughs> to be someone that is you know about to publish the book and it's not your first book it's your it's your third one how did you get to to have your book coming out on April 25th 2023 well first of all i always feel like podcasts are an act of hospitality uh, you're welcoming me into a group of people that uh, you've gathered and so i'm always grateful for that And yeah, so the book coming out, I I talk about writing as trying to make, it's me trying to make sense of things. I I don't know if every writer approaches writing that way, but for me, it's trying to make sense of, of life, of faith, of relationships. It's, it's trying to put some things that, because there's the reality that some of us don't really know what we think until we say it or until we write it down. And then we look at it and go, oh gosh, that's that's really in there. And so I started on this project, the Restlessness book, um, probably in early 2019, and had a had a book written, really a structure and a 
in a format. Um, I won't go into the long story about how you about publishing. I mean, we could, I guess, but uh, there's just a lot of preamble that goes like a lot of preparation and a lot of stuff that goes into it. And so I had this this book in in a germ form and it shopped it to some publishers. Nobody really was interested, and so I just put it away for a while. And then 2020 happened, and I was very, very interested in not writing a pandemic book um, because mm. I think there's a little bit of, um, I dare say, PTSD maybe that we carry about that time, but just a little bit of a kickback where even if I'm watching a show and they're and they're wearing masks or it's the topic, I'm, I'm, I have like this wince. I'm like, oh, do I really want to do this? But some things happened to us universally uh, as a as a planet that started to poke at those things that I'd written about in that restless original restless book. And then some things happened in my life. Um, so I, I feel like the universal is always in the particular. So what we mm. big we is going through is always what we lowercase we are going through. And so I came back to the book and reinfused it with some different experiences and stories. And that's the book that's coming out now. So it was a long journey. Um, it was a painful one. During the editing process, I got COVID and had the brain Ooh. fog. And so I'm trying, like, I can't remember the last four digits of my phone number, but I'm trying to give coherent thought to a chapter in a book that's going to be published. So uh, it was it was quite a quite a journey, but I'm very happy that it's it's out. And I'm I'm blessed to know that there are people who are seeing this and seeing the absurdity of the title. Please understand the irony mm. of it is not lost on mm. me. Like nobody's mm. like, oh yeah, that's true. Restless, <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Uh, it's not lost on me. But also, once we dive into the dynamics of it, um, there are some mm. places where people have resonated with that idea from a, a multitude of different perspectives. So, yeah, so I'm glad that it's out, and then uh, it allowed me to make some sense of uh, what was going on, and hopefully, it helps some other people do the same thing. Right, right. It's it's very. Um, there's a lot of things that you've said that that resonated with me. Um, so when you mentioned, I was thinking about a paradoxical title, but when you mentioned the word absurdity, I, I didn't want to to go there. Like because when I when I read the title, the gift of restlessness, it's it's contrasting the contrast of a gift, something that is joyful, something that that you you you're always happy to receive unless you do like Seinfeld or you say the name of the the gift that you receive so mean you don't like it but when you when you say the gift and and restlessness is something that you know in in the subtitle that you have a, a spirituality for unsettled seasons it's like how can i celebrate something that's unsettled um can you elaborate a little bit on on you 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 call it the absurdity of the title but i think more the paradoxical nature of gift and restlessness in there yeah well that's a wonderful perspective i think what happens when we're unsettled and i'll say this for myself but i've i've seen it in other people Part of the blessing of being a spiritual director is I, I get to walk with people through times like these. Mm -hmm. And I think when things are unsettled, all of the common ways that we deal with life, others, self, faith, are get set aside. And as a 
as a person who is from a Christian tradition, the language that the scripture uses about this is the language of wilderness. And wilderness is a place where all the stuff that we usually use to cope with life gets taken away. It gets stripped away. And so in restless seasons especially, and I define restlessness as it's an irritated or unsettled place where we're just stuck in the present tense. We can't go back to the way things used to be, and we don't know what forward looks like. We have no idea what the future, what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. So we're just sort of planted right here, right now. And when that happens, it's kind of a wilderness moment because all of our impulses on how to deal with life start to kick in. So that lizard brain fight or flight response happens. So we either go, I'm going to, I'm going to punch my way through this present tense. You know, I'm going to fight my way through this. And, um, or we say, you know, I'm just going to medicate and distract myself so that I don't have to deal with this. And we do that in unhealthy ways a lot of times. Or sometimes we just let it take us over and we become Mm. cynical and Mm. negative and we just let that restless season bowl us over. And the gift, I think, comes when when we can stand in that stripped away place and connect with something bigger than ourselves that allows us to say, yes, this is a restless place. Yes, I'm unsettled, but there's something here that I need. There's a gift here that will help me develop resilience, help me to connect with the divine, help me to connect better with others, and even connect well with myself uh, to know Mm. what's really going on in here. I know a lot of people who live so busy and so protected by activities and externals, they never really understand the the stuff that's going on in them until one day they hit that moment of (laughs) restlessness and suddenly they're staring in a mirror and they see a person, they're like, I don't, I don't know that guy. And I don't know what to do with that that person that's looking at me. And those are the mm-hmm. transformational moments. But we have to be led to that place. And so restlessness right. is this wonderful guide and takes us right into that moment of wilderness where we stare down whatever it might be that's revealed when all of that stuff is taken away. And I think this is, it sounds mm-hmm. very like airy-fairy, but it's it's I think it's really practical too. Uh, we can see it happening in other people as well as, you know, what we would acknowledge in ourselves when it starts to happen to us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, thank, thank you for, for elaborating that, um, you know, that contrast that exists between the gift and, and restlessness. Now, if we, if we follow the line of that person that, that have not taken the time to, to connect within and then being confronted at that time to restlessness how how can we cultivate that what are the things that we need to cultivate um um what the tools that we need to confront that restlessness because it doesn't stop at the time that we look ourselves in the mirror and be like okay well what do i do it, it is, what what are the tools that we might need to to venture into that <laughs> into that wilderness because because once we enter the wilderness then, then there's something that you you eventually hopefully you can come out of this so how do we how do we come out of this yeah that's a lovely question because it gets us right to the heart of it gets us to the heart of practical steps um mm. i think first and foremost one of the things I wanted to do with this book, and it's it's something that I've always been passionate about, and it's in the other two books as well, is kind of a permission-giving approach. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's this intersection between things that are very, very human and things that I would consider to be things that are often put in like a spiritual category. Um, Mm. so there's issues, some people divide issues of faith and issues of humanity, but we're, we're by virtue of being human, we are spiritual in some sense. So Mm. from my tradition, when human beings were created, divine breath was breathed in to us. And so if you're breathing, you're human. And if you're breathing, you're a spiritual person. You're inspiring uh, the divine. And so what I love to do is show the intersection between things like memory and curiosity and this spiritual transformation journey that we're all on. And I think the same thing is true with restlessness. Some of it is, is just giving people permission to know restlessness is not your enemy. It's not pleasant. Mm. I'm not saying it has to be pleasant or welcomed like, oh, I'm so happy that this is happening. Yes. (laughs) I'm saying it doesn't have to be something that you see as an adversary. You don't have to declare war on restlessness because everything has the power to transform us, everything we experience and engage with. So rather than fighting it, what if we befriended it and let it take us to places that we wouldn't have gone otherwise? So I think the first practical step is just giving ourselves permission. The other is, I don't think this journey of restlessness can be done alone. And so having someone that walks through this with us, whether that's a uh, person from your faith community or a counselor or a therapist, or like for me, a spiritual director, this is where I usually find people and help them move through. So doing it with someone else, with another guide is incredibly helpful. And then the third thing is, I, I think there are some common questions. Everybody's mm. restless experience is different. Don't get me wrong. But I think on the like 60,000 foot view, there are some very common questions that occur to us in times of restlessness. And so the backbone of the book is built on these, these five or six questions. And from a Christian tradition, these are all things that I find in what's called the Lord's Prayer or uh, the Our Father, or Roman Catholic traditions, mm-hmm. but it's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And it's a very specific line by line prayer. But as I looked at it, I started to see behind each line, there's a question. There's a mm. very human, very universal question. And so when I help people walk through seasons of restlessness, I like to point out, let's find the key question that you're really, that's led you to this point. So there are things like, where do I belong? Um, is there enough, whether that's relationship or love or energy or resources? Uh, do I have a purpose? Do I have a reason for being here? Um, can I be, can the world be mended? I, I think that's a big one for people and in the U S and you guys can talk about Canada as well, but in the U S right now we feel, it feels like things are so divided on every single level. Sometimes our restlessness is just the the desperation of feeling like, can things actually be mended on a global, cultural level, but also on an interpersonal level? And that's where things like forgiveness, can I really mend this relationship? Other questions mm-hmm. like, can I be protected? Is, is there safety in the world in which I live? And can I be rescued? So if I'm in a mm-hmm. dark spot, can someone rescue me? So I think permission giving is one. Walking with someone is another, and then identify which of these very core questions is kind of at the heart of the restlessness that we're in the middle of. Yeah, yeah, 
Well, thank you for elaborating on that. I I feel like in your in your answer, there's there's three three main category like there's curiosity and there's the community and there's kind of like a like common ground that we all share. And I would like to pull a little thread on that common ground that we that we share because your your book and your your practice is deeply rooted in uh, in, in Christianity, right? Um, and or Christian spirituality now. And and the 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 part of the common ground seems to speak to to more people that are how how my question really is is like how can that how can we reconcile a, a, a message that is rooted in Christian spirituality and because I feel that myself teaching a philosophy class to high school students and when we get to the questions of spirits and, and and beliefs and and whatnot there's often a wall that is put right away where where we are not able to see that common ground the wall comes up right away so how you know how can your message might resonate with those who who are not who are of different religions or different spiritual practice or or no spiritual practice at all yeah oh that is that is such a, a heartbeat for me um <laughs> because so it's not an easy problem to solve so let me start Mm. there and say Mm. there are usually very good reasons when i find people putting up walls against faith they usually have some really significant and justifiable reasons for that one thing that i've noticed and i can critique my own tradition on this is that christianity over the years has lost the sense of shared humanity because there is a sense of a need to continue to create boundaries. So when I talk, any, any faith tradition has about the same, I think about the same arc to it, and I would welcome anybody from other traditions to comment on this, but early stage spirituality of any kind, whether it's faith tradition or non-faith traditions, usually that first stage is about defining boundaries. This is who we are and what we believe as opposed to who they are and what they believe. And it isn't, it sounds very like divisive, but initially it's about, it's just like our children. When we raise them, we teach them about our family. We teach them about who they are and it gives them identity. It gives them a sense of safety and belonging and protection. And so the, the develop, human development and spiritual development actually travel on parallel tracks so whatever is true of how we develop as people is true of how we develop in whatever faith tradition or spiritual tradition we're a part of. And mm-hmm. so what happens in that early stage is we develop a sense of us, our identity, our tribe, our belief system, and those, them, that, that other tradition, that other faith. And that's meant to be a distinctive. But what happens is a lot of times, especially I see this in Christianity, we never make it out of that stage. And what happens is what's distinction becomes division and what's division gets fed by fear and then it becomes battle. And Mm. so it's no longer, that's just someone who's coming from a different faith tradition. It's, I have to actively work so that that other tradition doesn't succeed and my tradition succeeds. And so, you know, being respectful for different, of different faith traditions, for example, um, 
when we say, um, for example, when someone uses the name of the Prophet Muhammad, tradition of Islam is to say, peace be unto him, or some form of that. Um, I could see a Christian not wanting to say that because mm. maybe because they've been taught, okay, if this is my identity and I say that, I'm respecting that those that other tradition and I'm giving credence to it. And yet Christians really want people to say Merry Christmas and honor mm. their own tradition, even right. if they aren't a part of a Christian tribe or a part of the... So, so what happens is we lose the shared humanity that all of us are really exploring these these basic questions. The questions from the Jesus prayer are, they're not Christian questions. Mm. Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, Baha'i, all of us are saying, where do I belong? What is my purpose? Is there enough? Can the world be mended? All of those are, are very human questions. And so yeah. trying to say that the reason why there's a value to a Christian tradition is because of how it connects with other traditions as well. And that we're all mm -hmm. talking about the same thing and how we, how we go about doing it. Um, you can maintain convictions without making that division a battle and you can have disagreements right. about the nature of God and the universe and all of that stuff. But that's much easier when you know that you're all hunting for the same thing. Right, right. Right. I don't know if that uh, you, answers you any of your question. But. Oh, that listen that that is that answered that answered the question because I feel a good answer to a question brings other questions, mm. and 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 I feel that that maybe the the character of the character of Jesus Christ mastered that so well, mm -hmm. of like that that's from from my personal personal perspective I, I feel that that's when a question is well answered so so in your answer you you demonstrated over the time that we've been speaking some sort of groundedness right um and and how have you cultivated of practice that groundedness to to be to be sure of of that which you follow and also to be open to that which challenges you so how 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 have you you know not na um navigated those things or cultivated that groundedness yeah well i'll say i, I don't know that i've always done it well uh, mm. it is it has been an exercise in two steps forward two steps back and i'm always learning uh, the best way we learn, I think, is to step in something and have to figure out, <laughs> how did I get in this? I, yeah, I think right. the biggest thing that has helped me is at a key point in my faith in formation. So I, I grew up in a very, what would be considered a fundamentalist Christian tradition. So very much about this is our tribe and that's them and that's, you know, division that sometimes led to fear and sometimes led to battle. But at a key point in my development when I was in college, I started to read from a different Christian tradition. So I was in an evangelical movement and I began to read some Roman Catholic authors, uh, specifically Henry Nouwen and a man named Thomas Merton. And as I was reading Thomas Merton, Thomas Merton, this devout Catholic monk in Kentucky, uh, was reading Zen masters. And I thought, okay, so where does this go? So I tugged on that thread a little bit. And I think what has helped me to be grounded is the ability to hear from other teachers 
from other traditions. And I had, I have a dear friend who was a mentor who said, it's the act of bringing home the bacon. So you explore other teachers and other traditions, and then you bring back some of those insights into your own practice and how you, uh, how you express your Christian faith. Um, and it's not, that sounds, so there's a line, I, there's obviously a line there. Like I don't want to rob things from other traditions and appropriate them mm. for Christianity, mm-hmm. but we're always learning from things. Um, there are people who learn amazing spiritual truths from you know, Ted Lasso or Star Trek or whatever. We're not appropriating those and saying, well, that's what that is. We're just saying that education and development is it's a source-based kind of activity. Where are you pulling from and how is that teaching and changing you? And so I think what's allowed me to be grounded is to see there have been voices and people and traditions for years who've been trying to make sense of who we, who are we? Who is the divine or what is the divine? And how do hmm. we see our life in conjunction with that? And so to be able to learn from, and some of that learning is saying, this is, this is good and this is helpful and this maybe not so much, or this is more based on a period in history that we're not in anymore. And so it's the ability mm-hmm. to reckon with that critically as well, to say, these things are of value and they're not from the tradition that I'm from, but they teach me about my own tradition. And, um, I go back to a a passage from the, from the Christian scriptures in the new Testament where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And a lot of times that's used as like a dividing line, but the, the actual original language, the word that Jesus uses for truth there is a word that is often translated reality. Mm. And so I think thinking of it that way, truth, we get very logical, you know, doctrinal statements, et cetera, and things like that. So, but what if we thought about it as it's just reality? So sometimes you hear something, you hear a poem or you hear a song and you know, deep down, you're like, that's real. Like Mm. that's legit. That is the thing. Mm. Mm. And so finding that in other traditions allows you to be grounded in the tradition that you practice and how you practice it and how you see not only the humanity, but the spirituality of other people who may right. not be a part of, of what you're, what you're a part of. So that I think has grounded me. I'm, I'm great at it sometimes and I'm terrible at it other times. And so it's a, <laughs> it's a learning and maturing process for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty of being human, right? I, I, at least in part it's to, to have those beautiful moments where where we we are in that zone and we are grounded and then we are other moment where we like <laughs> we, we flail and we just we just you know completely odd and 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 weird um there's something you said about you know truth and reality that made me connect with something i was talking with my students a couple of days ago where we were talking about socrates saying that a lot of knowledge is just remembering we we all have that thing that we that we are deeply that we know and when we see it we know like it's like it's it's vivid right and i and i the example that i that i take for myself to understand that is when my when my youngest was born and he was between between i don't know 2 3 months and he would be a little bit like you know agitated and everything and and you would 
we had a midwife who told us we could we could whisper like we could do shh in his ears mm. and then all of a sudden you could see like he he kind of like look at you like i remember that sound from somewhere and when you dig deep it's like remembering when he was in the womb that the background noise that he heard kind of like felt comforting wow. and babies you take them in your arms and you just shh and you just give a little bounce and they feel like especially when they are really in that fourth trimester between zero and three months where they have to grow outside of the womb because they are so damn big right so um, um it's so interesting to see that when you know when you were mentioning that that poem that we see or or that 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 passage that we that we read and we we feel it like we remember down to our core that this thing is true <laughs> right and and that's that's a great that's a great way that's a great way to put to put it um so in that groundedness right we, we shared what ground you but can can you share like with us your you write a book about restlessness your your personal journey of of restlessness and and how that impacted your your spirituality or your your own growth personally yeah yeah it it really is rooted in a couple of things i since i can remember since i can reckon with my own life um I know that I've had these rhythms of every six weeks or so uh, feeling this need to change something. And this mm. can descend into kind of the comical as well. You know, my wife, I'll, I'll come out of the bathroom and I'll have like a little stubble, like I'm going to grow a beard or something. And she just looks at me and she goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, you, you know where this ends. You can't do this. You don't look like you have a beard. You look like you need a bath. You just look filthy on your chin. But it's that it's and you and I'm sitting with you guys who have this like majesty. You know the majesty of your facial hair is is just I'm <laughs> the sin of envy right now is rocking for me. Uh, but I'll th that's just a change, like trying to make a change there or making a change in a habit. And so that's this sort of small scale. Um, but also there have been times where. I've felt this restlessness that I need to change what I'm doing for a living or, or whatever. And some of that's person, I get that some of that's personality too. There are some folks who mm -hmm. lock me in to whatever I'm doing and I'll do it forever. Um, their restlessness looks different, um, but that's mine. Mm -hmm. And so there's the garden variety of it, but then there's this sort of big arc restlessness of, you know, 2020 started us on a journey of uh, mental health crisis with my daughter. And knowing that we couldn't go back to the time before uh, we found out some of the struggles that she was having and entered into treatment and, you know, having to do some things around our house to make it safer and, you know, check-ins and observing triggers and things like that. And so being grounded and stuck in the present tense, which we're still in, you know, it's been three years now and mm -hmm. we're still in the middle of this with her. And that's where mm -hmm. a, there is a love, a love for others that will take you into a restless place too. So it isn't always just your own thing. Sometimes it's the people we love well that guide us into that by the hand. And so that mm -hmm. was part of it. I think as a person, um, 
who works in faith communities in the U.S. Uh, 20, 2020 through 23 through to right now, we're dealing with more division in our faith communities than maybe ever. We're dealing with a lot more anxiety in our people over politics and culture and um, gender, sexuality. Like the divides are feel much deeper. I'm always hesitant to say maybe now more than ever because sometimes that's just ignorant. You know, <laughs> people. There's always right. a there's always an Instagram reel about you guys think this is the worst it's ever been. Let me show you the 1920s. <laughs> Uh, but <laughs> there is a sense in which it, maybe we're just more aware of it. Uh, where mm-hmm. it, it feels like there is a darkness that is deeper than my own experience can reckon with. And so trying to stay in the middle, live in that wilderness where I don't know how to, I don't know how to solve these things. I don't know how to repair mm-hmm. these relationships that have been bent and broken by experience and time. Um, there's some health implications in my own family from COVID-19. And, and so we can't go back to before that happened, but you know, I'm still kind of foggy. So how do I deal with that? Right. Um, we have a sense right. of other people that's different. So that that journey has always been with me, maybe more intensified in the last three years. And so trying to give myself the permission to go, of course, of course, this is where you are. Think about everything that's mm-hmm. happened. And think about the questions that you're asking right now. Mm. What does the future look like? Where do you belong? Mm. Is there going to be enough? You wake up every morning right. and go, do I have enough juice for what might happen today? And how do I anticipate it without dooming myself to live into the most negative vision of what a day might look like? Um, mm-hmm. The gift of it has been, I feel like I'm living more day to day than ever. Like I, just at that point of going, I can't worry about tomorrow. Can't do it. So I just don't know. So here's what I've got. Here's what we're doing today. Let's remain present. And I think that's the other sort of like sub gift of if you really embrace these restless times is it helps you remain more grounded in the present of what's going on Mm -hmm. right in front of you. Cause you have no idea how to get to, you're not at A anymore. You have no idea how to get to B, but we're sort of stuck right here. So what does right here mean? Um, I had some right. friends who experienced this. They, they worked, you know, 50, 60 hours a week and whatever they were doing. And then lockdowns happened and they were sitting at home looking around going, I've got this family that I really dig. I don't want to go back. I don't mm. want to go back to the way things were. And so they made adjustments where they could, they took pay cuts. They stayed and went into a different job or did something different just so they had that time. Now I realize that is a super privileged perspective. Not everybody has that option. Right. And so it's not the ideal, but it is an example of, yeah, I'm just the present tense. I got these kids and this wife that I never see. I don't want that anymore. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I want to be in this present moment. So so my practice has been really paying attention, paying attention to those present moment things. That was that was something Tungi and I talked about a lot uh, over the pandemic with in terms of in respect to teaching with the idea that, uh, you know, if we go back to the classroom in the same way we left it, uh, you know, wh- what what's the disservice we're going to do? Because the world has changed so much uh, in those six months, a year that we were we were in lockdown. And, uh, you know, but how do you make it better? How do you keep going? And I'm sure I'm sure like your ministry changed over over that time. How do you how do you find it for the better? Like where what do you see? 
different that you that you like now that you, or that you you appreciate more now in 2023 as we've changed yeah i i think i'll wager on this one i'm not sure how i feel about it but i i, I will put a i'll put a wager on it i think because we were in a time period where there was so much we weren't able to do and it really cut down on the busyness for a lot of people that coming out of it now i feel like people when they decide to be present to something, be involved in something, they mean it. Um, when, like, for example, with church, we had, we developed a church online aspect where people, you know, and my family, we did it, you know, we're eating French toast in our pajamas, you know, watching pre-recorded music and sermons and all that stuff and, and uh, called it church. We can get into whether or not that's is or isn't, but it just was the thing at the time. And so that's still, we kept that as an option. So when I see someone show up in person, my thought is, oh, you really want to be here. Mm. This means something to you because you don't have to. And you know that now. Like we've made it possible for you not to have to be here. And yet you're still here. I heard a statistic. um, Someone said that they were talking to a concert promoter. And they said, when we sell out a show, we expect 80% of those people to actually show up. And I thought that's amazing. Like 80% of a sold out venue because people know we don't have to come to this. Um, The commitment level to things we don't care about seems to have dropped off substantially, like it fell off the edge of a table. And so I think that's one thing that's changed is we've really thought well for the most part. I think eventually that will will that'll change. We'll get back to like eh, let's be busy again because we gravitate toward that for whatever reason because it gives us value, it charms our ego, makes us feel important, whatever it does. But for now, like I'm seeing that trend of of people who if they're at something they want to be there, and um, mm-hmm. I think there's something to that. There's something good to that. For sure. So that's one. That's one big thing that I've noticed. Right there. Yeah, that, that intentionality. Oh, Sorry, Tungi. That intentionality to doing something. You know, yeah, yeah. When someone shows up on a Sunday, uh, in their in their you know best dress, like that was a choice. It was not a. It was not getting into a rhythm of of the week of going. Okay, this is what I do now. You know, it's an intentional act, yeah. and that's important. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You you mentioned that's the thing. I feel like there's the thread that I'm that I'm that I'm following. Um, there's a word that you mentioned several times. The arc that I'm following here is is one of permission, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and of allowing ourselves to to be or to be where our feet are, which is sometimes can be the joyful and the grounded place or the, the, the unsettled place but to be where our feet where our feet are and now and and to to recognize that whatever has led me to where i am that's what led me to where i am and then we'll figure out right but i'm allowing myself to to i decide to to go somewhere or i'm allowing myself there's a permission now I, i'm i'm hesitant in how we reconcile permission with a set of precepts or dogma or organized 
religion, which is a space that you that you um, that you live with, that you interact in. How do I allow myself when I have to wrestle with the fact that well, there's a code that tells me no, right? Um, in the in the Christian faith, for as much as I know, there's a lot of like, don't be anxious, don't worry. Right. And and then how do I allow myself when I shouldn't be anxious? I shouldn't be. So so how do I reconcile those those two things? Um I, I'm I'm curious what you what you think about that in yeah. terms of permission. That's a wonderful question. And I know sometimes guests say that to stall so they can make up an answer. That's I actually I actually mean that's a wonderful <laughs> question. <laughs> um <laughs> So from my own from my own perspective, what I oh, I think has has happened, and I am very much because a lot of my heartbeat and passion is for spiritual formation or transformation. I'm very interested in what we're becoming, mm-hmm. and I actually would say, in Christian circles, I would say spiritual formation is the gospel. It is the good news, the sense that we might become, we were designed to be something very good. And that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that we're called beloved. That's our core nature, and we're designed really to become that. And Jesus is the guide for for us to be to become that. Uh, and so, what has happened inside our tradition is that there's been a divide between how much participation we have in that. So, how much do I do and in some ways, it's, well, faith is a very passive thing. God does everything because you can't do anything good. There's a certain stream mm-hmm. of Christian tradition that's in that. I don't swim in that stream because uh, most of the scriptures that we read require us to do a whole lot of stuff that, if that's the case, if we're incapable of anything good, uh, the divine has put way too high of responsibilities on us. I mm. think we have a role. I think we have a role to participate. And so if we have a role to participate and the heart of Christian faith is becoming something, then the, and we have to adjudicate whether they're healthy or right, Christian dogma, rules, doctrines, but the ones that are close to the target, they're there not to govern us, but to free us. They're there to help us become something rather than mm-hmm. shut down pieces. It's there, they're there like the, I don't know, when, when you take a little kid bowling and you put down the little bumpers, you know, they're there to keep <laughs> us in the lane, not as a, right. not as a control mechanism, but to say, here's a channel through which you become who you were built to become. And that's where like, I love that you said that about do not be anxious. That is a wonderful passage. There is no instructions after that on how you do that. So a lot of, I, when I teach on the teachings of Jesus, a lot of times I'll go to the love your enemies passage. And I'll say, Jesus taught love your enemies. He didn't say how. And so I think if you ask, he would say, well, it kind of depends on your enemies. Tell me about them. What does love mean mm. to them? So mm. what they do is they give us, what these guidelines give us is a playing field. Uh, I like to mm-hmm. think of a playground. Mm-hmm. And there are right. all kinds of pieces right. of equipment on the playground. How you play is based on your people, your wisdom. Mm. If you fell off the monkey bars and you don't want to do that again, then don't do that again. You know, so there's there's a sense of freedom, I think, within Mm -hmm. my own tradition that I think we miss out on. 
And so permission is saying, you have freedom to play on the playground. Here's where the fence is, and this will help you. And there are going to be some times that you want to go visit another playground and see what they do and say, oh, we could play that game over here. We've got some similar things here. How, right. do, we, how do we think of that? Um, so I, right. see, I see it much more as participatory. There's a lot more permission when you're being mm. freed up to become something rather than being controlled so that you don't do other things. Now, again, there are some things that we just shouldn't do, but I think for the most part, those things are shared between a lot of the faith traditions. Right. Like we know right. that kids getting gunned down in schools is not right. I don't mm. need dogma or doctrine to teach me that. The question mm. is, how do we how do we address it politically? Mm-hmm. How do we address it spiritually? Mm. And we have freedom to participate and permission to mm. enter into mm. the restlessness of we can't go back. But what's the future? Do we is this really the future that we're in the U.S. we're bound for? I don't think so. I think creativity and courage and energy and and even some of the great faith traditions can help us if we just realize that we're a part of this. We're a part of the solution. Right. 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 It's it's leads me to a follow up question. It's like I love when my guests make the bridges for me. I feel like I feel like they're just like <laughs> they're like they're just building the bridge, and I'm like, okay, well, I'll I'll hop on that on that ramp. Um, and and I am I'm, I'm passionate about questions. I, I love questions more than anything. Um, my the, yesterday, it's funny. It's probably the part of the podcast where we share little stories about me right now. But yesterday, a student, a grade eight student, came to me, and she's like, "I feel your class is like a a treasure hunt," and I'm like. What do you mean? She's like, you never answer my questions. There's always another question. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, exactly. That's what I'm saying right now. I'm asking you a question and you just keep on asking me, what do I mean? And I have to talk and I don't like that. So I'm I'm passionate about questions. So the the follow-up question that I had was like, how do we create spaces for spiritual exploration that are more inclusive and more open-minded for the permissions because the, the permissions that we mention varies and it's not only permissions it's it's people's identity it's people's people's like natural makeup how do we create spaces that are more inclusive and and more open-minded um um in 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 the in the christian tradition or, or how do we create or in the communities because community is a big part of 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 the the solutions that you say that the practical tips that we can have when we are talking about you know facing restlessness or dealing with restlessness but how do we create more inclusive and open-minded spaces my my read on that is that there's a lot of pre-work that it will have to happen Mm. first Mm. i don't believe those spaces will be large i think they'll be small i think they'll be relational I think there'll be more like Mm. one or two people or two or three people beginning something, doing something grassroots rather than an entire church community of 200, 400 people establishing this kind of space. Uh, I think there is a generosity for understanding what stage people are at within each tradition. Um, there are, there are times when it is not safe for us 
to try and explore something broader than what we can understand. So even in education, there's a there's a reason why we stage our educational levels. Like I talk about my daughter sometimes and you know when she was learning math and she came home and she was talking about subtraction and she said, "Okay, so 2 minus 1 is 1." Like, yeah. So 2 minus 2 minus 5 is what? And we're like, "Well, no, you don't you don't need to do that." So we put up a boundary there, knowing at some point she's going to have to learn how to do negative numbers, and that's all going to be a part of it. Um, or even with her, like when she was younger, we said, don't talk to strangers. Well, mm. she's going to have to grow out of that at some point. If she wants to get a job <laughs> or marry somebody or you know conduct commerce, like eventually she's going to have to get to the point where she has the wisdom to know who to talk to that she doesn't know. And so I think first, just being aware of the fact that not everyone will be ready Mm. and that sometimes that is a resistance based on a moral or ethical uh, shortcoming in them. And sometimes it's simply not having the ability to make that step. And so if faith communities can embrace the fact that the stages of faith are really moving people to where they could have a conversation with someone of another tradition, and could leave with a gift and also, I mean, a lot of times leave that conversation with a deepening of their own spiritual practice. Mm-hmm, I don't typically mm-hmm. walk away going, man, this Christian thing is garbage. I typically walk away going, wow, there's so many pieces of my own tradition I haven't explored. And this person just just put a big spotlight on it. So I want to mm-hmm. go chase that stuff down. So it's actually deepened me and my own tradition. But you have to be able to get to the point where you're really going after it's the difference between going after information and going after wisdom. If we're really in a Mm -hmm. battle over information, it will always be a divide. If we're going for Mm -hmm. wisdom that how do we live with what we know in light of reality, then that that's a place then we're able to have those conversations. So I think starting small, I think just, making allowances for that. I've seen communities of faith have like panel um, panel discussions about certain things on if it's a if it's a Christian tradition when they meet on Sundays they have some folks from other traditions there to talk about whether it's a community issue or whether it's a issue of theology and practice. Um, I get to be a part of a, a panel in the coming week that's uh, spirituality and and it's a pharmacy school and they're talking about spirituality oh. and pharmacological work. Mm. Like, I didn't even know that was mm. a thing, but I'll be there with some <laughs> other faith leaders and we're going to talk about how does your faith tradition approach medication right? and what do you allow? And so being able to be a part of that, conversations like that, I think no, it exposes people to the fact that we have more connections, we have more similarities and connecting points than we thought Mm, Uh, mm, but it definitely starts i think it does start more relationally and it starts smaller and then moves up to that to that bigger picture right right speaking of of connecting points um all three of us we are fathers here Mm -hmm. and and fatherhood is a big it's like i don't know if you have a pie chart of my life of my of my in my head you have like you have like fatherhood that is one color and then you have just fatherhood like it's just the whole thing it consumes like my my um bandwidth if i would say so and and there's something that you mentioned when you were talking about you know your personal journey of restlessness about like you know your love for others will guide you there 
but will mm-hmm. guide you to to that wilderness space. And and I would like to know like what is what is fatherhood for you? What does it represent? What is I, I will assume that, you know, when you're talking about love for others and 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 we, your father, there's there's the love of the people that we that we live with, our our partners and our kids. Um, but what does fatherhood means means to you? Oh. Oh, I have to admit I have a particular ache around this question right now. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's an interest it's interesting because it's not what I expected. Um, and so my daughter will turn 16 in May. And so we're kind of at the point where parenthood and fatherhood turns from parent to coach where we move from formal strong boundaries to we've given you the tools that you need to live how do we how do we coach you how do we continue to help you play the playbook but also develop your own like you're you're going to have to develop your own ways of of dealing with these things and that's in everything from getting a job to having a boyfriend to handling you know, a girl. So there's some things that I'm just clueless on, you know, not having been uh-huh. a teenage girl ever. Um, there's some of those things that she experiences that I'm like, mm, I, I don't, I don't know what you do with that. Uh, I looked at my wife and I'm like, is this a thing? Like, does this, okay, this is a thing. Okay. Um, so what do we do with this thing? Oh, you don't know either. Oh, okay. So this is what it means to be screwed. Um, mm. So I, uh, I'm learning that slowly as a father, like our relationship is, is different now than it was when she was much smaller. Um, and mm. I think fatherhood is, mm. I've mm. always wanted fatherhood to be, and again, this is sort of like I said earlier, I think there's a success failure rate for me in this. I think fatherhood right. has always been taking this person and helping them express everything that is good that has been built in them and giving them the frameworks and the support, the energy the kindness, the self-awareness, um, the self-worth to be able to do that, to be able to be uh-huh. the gift to the world that they've always been meant to be in, in from my perspective, that the divine made her to be. Um, mm. But then also knowing it will not go like you think it will. Like there is no strategic plan for raising a child. You put your best efforts, you read what to expect when you're expecting or whatever. You read all those books and then <laughs> and then you go do it. And then you realize, gosh, this this didn't turn out the way that I thought it would. In some ways it turned out better. In other ways, it's like right. I still don't know what we're gonna do with that. So so I think that's the nature of fatherhood is trying to bring out something that's already in our kids and knowing that it'll have a ver- a varying degree of success and that they have a spirituality, they have a, a soul, they have a spirit that mm. um, has mm. all this really unique stuff built into it. Some of it's yours. You know, that's a terrifying moment <laughs> when you see your kid do what you would do. You're like, no, <laughs> no, I gave it to you. No. I, I gave it to you. To panic, you know, you try not to panic and go, oh, this is going to go. Okay, when you turn 21, you by that point, please lose that thing because I know what ha- And you're thinking that your kid's going to do exactly what you did and then they never do. Right. Uh, right. So I think it's it's really just unlocking and bringing out that deep goodness that's already in, that's already built in there. 
And, mm. and sometimes we do that by force and we shouldn't. And sometimes we do it too passively. And uh, You cannot be a perfectionist and be a parent. I, I don't think it's a survivable scenario. Mm. And that's where fatherhood is also me learning who I am and critiquing myself mm. and critiquing my own impulses and my own dreams and my own desires. Right. How much of this right, is what I want right. for my daughter and how much of this is something I want for me through them? Oh, that's powerful. That, 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 that stroke something. Uh, um, um. <laughs> I was talking about the mirror when we started and I, and I, and I literally see the mirror here where, where it's like, you're trying to, you know, what if I, my son just started flag football mm. and, and, um, he's passionate about it and like I'm, I don't play football I've never played football we watch football at home but he's passionate about it he he wants to he, he wants to be a quarterback and and he's like do you know what team I'm gonna play for and and I, I'm rooted that is to play for the Niners and not the, the the bloody Seahawks but that's another story but it's like at the same time too I feel myself confronted with I grew up not ha playing sports, but not having as much opportunities as him. Mm. And I'm doing, and I'm, and I find myself, I have to catch myself sometimes to be like, no, he's venturing into this. It is not you remaking your life, your sports life through him. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, and it's difficult and it's, it's at every level. It's at school. It's, it's in how the way that he carries himself, the way that he interacts with other people. I feel like, you know, little thing that I missed in my own childhood, I feel like I would like him to, to not miss those things yeah. and, and to have those things. But at the same time, I, I, I hesitate between his path and my path. Right. And especially when, when, when you, you get, you get stuck in the fact that people are like, oh my God, he looks just like you. He moves just like you. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, it's me. And then, and then, but you have to catch yourself, right? So it's difficult. <laughs> and that's, I think, where a, a spirituality for parents is when you have that moment, it pulls, it pulls you out of the, a little bit out of the present. And it shows mm -hmm. you that what the work you're doing is actually connected to something much bigger. Like the mm. universe the mm -hmm. divine, whatever is leading you towards this insight because it's important not only for your son, but for how your son enters into the world because he will change something. Right. He'll change right. the fabric of the reality that he's exposed to. And that sounds very right. matrixy. I get, I get it, but like you, <laughs> your, your child will make an impact on someone, someone's bunch of people. If you, people. Mm. Um, mm. my parents couldn't have known that I'd go and do what I'm doing now, but what they did for me is now having an impact on people who listen to this podcast or people who read a book or people who read a blog or people who hear me teach in a faith community setting. So we're connecting to this much bigger reality of we're not just raising a child. We're, we're beginning to have an influence on the world that we can't even, we can't even fathom. Right, right, right. Um, I there's a lot of mention last night. My 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 wife is always looking over my shoulders when I'm doing something, 
when I'm marking papers, I mark too hard. So when I'm doing a test, she wants to do the test before my students. So she knows like, you know, they can survive. So my wife is the biggest advocate for my students. And and when I was when I was preparing last night, I'm thinking about, you know, what we're gonna talk about loosely. And she was looking at my notes. She's like, why do you have so much spiritual in in your notes? Like what the word spiritual comes back often. Mm-hmm. And it get me to think about, you know, people nowadays use the word spiritual but not religious. Mm-hmm often and we talked about you know even my son having a spirit like our our parenthood being a spiritual endeavor etc um what do you think that phrase means spiritual but not religious um and and why do you think it has become so popular nowadays i think it does go back to what i was mentioning earlier where religion seems like a religion seems like a thing that keeps spirituality from happening uh, it seems very restrictive. It seems very overbearing. And the way that I've begun to speak to that is, in my tradition, especially in evangelical Christianity, there's a language of religion, a relationship, not religion. So you have a mm-hmm. relationship with God, not be a part mm-hmm. of a religion. The only problem with that is our language, our language for relationship, where does it come from? The best part of religion is that it gives us language to understand the divine. So much of what we call spirituality, and we want to be that to be a part that's set free, but the concepts and structures that we understand it through a lot of times are given to us by religion. So the best parts of religion, and if you go back to the Latin roots of religion, it, the word just means to ligament, to, to connect to something. And so if you imagine our body, our body holds together because of ligaments, you know, everything is connected and our emotion is, is, and so it frees us to do. So religion really is built to, to free us to practice a spirituality that's life-giving and generative. The problem is when that becomes the only thing. And so, you know, in a marriage, I have a relationship with my best friend that I don't have with my wife. And the reason why that is, is because we have a different, we're ligamented differently. My connection Mm -hmm. to my wife is very different. And there are some things that go into a marriage that don't go into a friendship. And so when I hear spiritual, not religious, I think it is a, a lot of times it's a well-founded critique of what religion has become capital R religion instead of lowercase, which is giving us a context for understanding spirituality because anything that we do, human beings, any way that we try to understand the divine is going to come also close, but it's not quite going to be there because the right. moment we can fully describe the divine, we have automatically said that is not it. Cause if I can fully do it, then that can't be it because if it's divine, I shouldn't be able to master it. And so, um, I say in the book, a lot of times we get caught up in our metaphors for the divine and what's happening is that we start worshiping the telescope rather than the stars. Um, the metaphors are just pointing us to something else. And so I think the whole religious, religion and spirituality debate is really about, I feel this reality, and yet I don't feel like this thing is helping me to engage with it or to express it. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is I've watched religion do some hideous things. 
So when it comes to colonialism, when it comes to indigenous peoples, when it comes to black and brown Americans, when it comes to, you know, sexual abuse within religious. So I've watched, so I'm rejecting it because it's not healthy or I'm rejecting it because it just doesn't, it's not doing what I think it's not helping me embrace this, this bigger reality. And so there's some rehab that needs to go on in, in religious systems where, we realize what it is that we were supposed to do. All of those language and metaphors and rich traditions and great teachers and great practices. Mm. I find people who are not religious at all, but if they go through it like a silent, some kind of silent gathering, so powerful, so powerful. Even a, a time of quiet prayer, it's so powerful because it's it's pointing to a reality that they're like that's thrumming in them that it's like yes this, but that's not getting me to this. And right, so I th- it's right. a great it's a great awareness for religious people of any tradition to go. Are we helping folks embrace this bigger connection to the divine that is always there? It's not as mm. if we facilitate it; it's always there. Mm. Our job is just mm. to help people understand it. Beautiful, beautiful. That's that's amazing. Um, I'm just um, I, I I thank you very much for that for for sharing that space with us. Um, it's it's just I, I love hearing people in their element, right? People in their in their zone, right? I I love I love that, and and I feel throughout that conversation we've gone through the 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 path of what can like lead us to restlessness and and also some sort of like of a map to to tap into different things of curiosity community and and big questions um we we are about to land right i i love i love the metaphor you were talking about metaphor i love the metaphor of flying and going on a on a journey and and a voyage um we are about to land, and there's several times in the conversation you mentioned about, you know, the big questions and um, is there enough and what is the purpose and what advice, and that, that would be, you know, I would use that. We have a section in the podcast that's called Teach and Reach, mm. um, where it's like two teach and one reach, but I'm going to use that final question to kind of like wrap everything with a little bow. Um, so what, what advice would you give someone who is who is struggling to find meaning and purpose in their lives and, and feels disconnected. Yeah. Finding purpose, first and foremost, I think the best thing we can do is try to figure out how do we disconnect that from what we do to pay the bills. Um, sometimes we see purpose as what I do for a living and that sometimes is the case it isn't always the case when someone talks to me about um and there's a whole different story from a christian tradition and especially from the the tradition and the communities i grew up in where purpose is this very defined thing and we talk about god's Mm. will or god's call and it's a Mm. it's a path that sort of looks like a tightrope and you choose mm-hmm. this one path, and if you miss it, it's okay, but everything else is pretty much a bronze medal at that point. This is the thing. And so I grew up with that, and yet I had that as a young person, and now I am nowhere near living on that tightrope. 
And so what changed for me was coming back around to the idea of there is really, from a Christian tradition, there is really one thing that matters most. What do I do to love the divine, myself and others with everything that I have? And so when people are asking me about their purpose, I often say, what do you love? What do you love? What's the thing that inspires you? What's the thing that gets you up in the morning? What's the thing that ticks you off? You know, if there's something that agitates you to where you're like, something's got to happen here. What are those things that you love so much that you get angry about it? Your purpose is probably in that somewhere. Practically, I don't know what that looks like. But when we start with that question of what I, what do I love rather than what should I do for a living, it's a much more generative discussion. So for people who are struggling with that, um, find it, finding someone you can talk to about what you love. What, what is the center of your heart and the thing that you mm. most desire? And then you can get into, so what do I need to do to fund that? Can I do that right. for a living? Or am I going to have to do a side gig in order to be able to live into what I love? And I think that once you pursue that, start pursuing that path, the next steps will make themselves known. I think the universe is bent towards mm. us finding what we love and being able to do it well. And so if you begin asking those questions, I think the path will make itself available. You have to be patient. It's not fast. Right. And you also have to be resilient because not everybody's going to be cool with you, with you chasing that down. But patience and resilience, that path will start to open up for you. Sure, for sure. Well, thank you very much for for this. And, and you know, we we are at that part where I'm rolling the red carpet here to to let you take the space to, you know, where where can people find you? Where can people follow you? Where can people, you know, um um hear more about you and and, and read your books, etc. So I'm rolling the carpet here and, and you have that space to 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 plug the beautiful things that you get to do. Sure, sure. Well I, I appreciate that and thank you for great questions. Um the best place people can find me is my website, kctigret.com. Um, there's a bunch of resources there, including uh, how people could uh, pursue a, a spiritual direction if they're interested in that, or just some, some spiritual health assessments if they'd like to do that. I also speak and lead retreats time to time, and so there's a way to connect with me if there are people are interested in that. And also just... Um, there's a podcast I host. There's a blog that I write. So there's there's various things there. I'm on uh, Instagram and Facebook as well um, at, at Casey Tigret for both of those. So if you're interested in finding me, you can find me that way as well. Beautiful. It was a, a lovely, like it was an honor and a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Um, and, and it was, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to having your book being released on April 25th. Um, people can, people can pre-order it. I think the pre-order is the part that's really, really um, good. So, so people can pre-order the book um, in order to get those, those printing going. Uh, um, and thank you very much for enlightening us with, with um, your knowledge, your wisdom, your, your openness as well, and, and giving us the permission to think, the permission to be curious, the permission to ask questions. So it was really lovely to have you with us. And 
I'm, I'm deeply appreciative. And, and I say that to all my guests because we have an open door policy. We give the key to the city to everyone that comes in. So you, you are more welcome whenever you want to come back. If there's another book, you, you are free to come back. And if there's something that, you know, puzzles you, you want to, you want to have a platform, go for it. We are always, <laughs> always open to have you back. That's gracious. Thank you so much. I've, I've really loved this conversation. Thank you for listening to the Teach Reach podcast. This podcast is produced by Dr. Lemstein Productions, mixing and editing by Ian Lamb. If you are enjoying this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give us a review on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at teachreach underscore podcast. For our regular listeners, we truly appreciate your support. Thank you. You can find more information about our podcast at teachreach.podbean.com. Until next time, Kembe La Palagi. Hang in there. Don't give up.